Amen, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you. This is uh, God's word for this morning. Go ahead and stay standing as we read the word of God together. We have a special guest, John Nimmers, with us this morning preaching the word to us, and he's going to be in Psalm 24. So this is the word of God, Psalm 24, starting in verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your gate heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Amen. Praise God for the reading and hearing of his word. Let's pray together as we open our service. Father, we bow before you. We bow our hearts. We do bend our knees, God. Because we want this King of glory, Jesus, to come and be with us, Lord. So God, I pray that you would be with John as he preaches, be with us as we worship. Lord, we think of what you're doing all over the nation and what you're doing all over the world, and we rejoice. We thank you for what you're doing in Kenya and what you're doing in Nigeria and what you're doing in the Congo and what you're doing in Europe. And oh God, we ask that your presence, the presence of Jesus Christ would go forward and onward everywhere. And God, we, we tighten our vision down to central Iowa and we, we ask, Lord, that you would be so gracious to us here. We rejoice in what was going on in Asbury in Kentucky. We rejoice in the revival and the work of God there. And Lord, we ask you and beg you for it here. God, come and revive your people so that the name of Jesus, the, the presence of Eden, the presence of the garden would go everywhere, all over Des Moines. God, we're thankful to be a small part of it. And God, we ask that you would open up our hearts and our minds as we consider all that you're doing in Psalm 24 and all that you're doing in Des Moines. God, we just rejoice. Thank you that we get to be here this morning. Lord, would you be with every believer, sanctify their hearts, encourage them, strengthen them, edify them, and give them joy. And Lord, I pray for those who do not yet know Jesus as their Savior. May you lead them to repentance and faith in Christ. That saves. God, we ask all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we do have a guest speaker this morning. John Nemers is his name. And about 15 years ago, when we were starting Living Waters, uh, we didn't know exactly what God was doing, but we knew God was leading us to South Des Moines. We got together with a group of pastors and we prayed for 
lots of things for people to be saved and churches to be started. And we, we prayed for one of the pastor's sons, whose name was John. And the thing with John is that he was a meth addict and a drug dealer and a drug user, far from God, and a typical pastor's kid. Amen? All right. And we prayed for John to be saved. We prayed and we wept and we cried and we, we fasted and prayed for John to be saved. Now, since that, the, that season of prayer meetings, uh, Living Waters has been planted. Amen? Praise the Lord. Look, what, look at all that God has done. Incredible. And God did save that kid. And that kid's preaching to you this morning. Amen? How cool is that? So John is um, the latest uh, church planter in the Engage Network, and we're really excited for him. He's going to be planting a church in North Des Moines, and we've got a really cool video to show you here in a few moments. But what, what we're really excited about is we exist inside of an Engage church planting network. So one of the greatest joys we have as a, as a church is to be a part of a network of churches that wants to plant churches. Amen. And may the knowledge of the Lord run, right, all over the city and all over central Iowa. We're a small part of that. We're so encouraged. Living Waters was child number two, right, in, in the church planting vernacular. And uh, now John is child number seven. So we're getting a little Catholic. Amen? All right. That's good. But no, we have a, we have a really cool video to show you. It's about three and a half minutes long. This will give you a, an intro to John. It will give you an intro to the church plant in North Des Moines. And, and hopefully, uh, John will come up and preach after that, and hopefully God will stir in your hearts to be involved in some way, and uh, we'll talk more about that at the end of the service. So uh, without further ado, here's the video for Eden Church. C.S. Lewis once wrote that if you find in yourself a desire that nothing in this life can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that you were made for another world. And the amazing part about that is that we actually get a taste of that heavenly world in the local church. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says that the church is a place where the presence of God dwells on earth. So if you think about it, the church is like a little garden of Eden in its community. It's a place where you can encounter the living God through Jesus. It's a place that puts on display the fact that Jesus has reopened the gates of Eden for you to find and follow your Creator. And that's the kind of church that Kaylee and I have been called to start on the north side of Des Moines. And the first way we plan to do this is through serving our neighbors. As a church, we're going to make Jesus' commandment to love your neighbor a part of our everyday life. It's going to be who we are. Whether someone steps foot in our church or not, we want to be a life-giving garden in this community by blessing them every chance that we get. Because we believe, and we've already been praying and fasting, that waves of revival would sweep through entire neighborhoods through simply loving your neighbor like Jesus would. The second way is through serving our neglected. In Mark 9:37, Jesus says, anyone who welcomes a little child on my behalf welcomes me. And by little child, Jesus is referring to the childlike in our society. So those who are the outcasts, the dependent, the poor, the weak, the homeless, the fatherless, the refugee, or what we've been calling the neglected. 
It doesn't take long for you to drive around and notice that on the north side there are a lot of neglected people. But one of the clearest realities that you'll ever find in the Bible is that God's heart is knit to the neglected. And if that's true, then our hearts must be as well. And lastly, through serving what I've been calling our spiritual nomads. That is, those who are wandering in search of spiritual fulfillment but have nowhere to address their longings, mainly because they don't trust the church anymore. Well, we strongly believe that in a culture that's searching for spiritual fulfillment, we need to be the ones that they're searching with. And we actually believe that our examples found in Jesus. All over the Gospels, he gives us the examples of walking with people through their struggles as they're searching for spiritual fulfillment. And we just want to be a church that follows in Jesus' footsteps. At bottom, our desire in this church is to build a community that gives the spiritual nomad a place to feel at home while they search for spiritual fulfillment. It was Philip Yancey who said, Christians should work harder towards establishing colonies of the kingdom that point to our true home. All too often, the church holds up a mirror reflecting back the society around it rather than a window revealing a different way. Our prayer is that this church would be a window into the very presence of God on the north side of Des Moines. Hey, good morning, Living Waters, and uh, Josh, thank you for that introduction, although I did, God did save me from a lot of drugs, meth was not one of them, but I do appreciate you hyping me up that way, I suppose, but <laughs> I looked at my wife and said, wow, I was, I didn't know that. <laughs> no, God, God has changed uh, my heart dramatically, as he does anyone who he saves, and so very thankful, and, and thankful to be here. Um, I have my wife here and our five beautiful children. I think I got a picture of them. Uh, we are 28 and we have five kids already, so you can pray for us. We don't, we don't know what we're doing and uh, these kids are crazy, but we love them and uh, we are very thankful uh, that you guys would have us come here and, and, and talk to you guys. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Psalm 24. Uh, that's where we're going to be at. And I love this psalm. And while you turn there, uh, let me give you the context for what's going on in this psalm. It's found in, in 2 Samuel chapter 6. You don't need to turn there. I'll just tell you about it. But uh, David has become king just recently, and he wants to take the Ark of the Covenant into the tabernacle. It wasn't in the tabernacle, and he wants to go get it from where it's at and bring it into the tabernacle. Now, if you've grown up in the church, then maybe you are familiar with the Ark of the Covenant. If you haven't grown up in the church, then the Ark of the Covenant is the place where the presence of God dwells on earth. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, it, it even calls it where the Lord Almighty is enthroned, okay? Don't just run by that. Think about that for a second. We grew up hearing all these Christianese languages, but just think about that for a second, the living God dwelling on earth. And the place where that's at, where that's occurring right now, is in the Ark of the Covenant in the, in the context of our story. So David wants to go get that Ark and bring it into the tabernacle. And so what he does is he gets 
30,000 people, 30,000 men, and he goes and he, 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 it's just this giant party, essentially, okay? So he, he gets all these guys, they're all singing, they're all dancing, it is just one giant parade, one giant party, and he puts the Ark of the Covenant on a cart, and he pulls it with these oxen. And while the Ark is getting pulled, one of the oxen stumbles, and the Ark of the Covenant begins to wobble back and forth. Right? Picture that in your head. And it's going to fall on the ground, right? That the presence of God is about to fall on the ground and get all dirty. And so there's this man named Uzzah who's standing by the ark, and he does what would have been natural for all of us to do, right? He, he reaches out, he, he steadies the ark so it doesn't fall. He touches the ark, and what happens? He dies. Blah, yeah. He dies. God kills him right there in front of 30,000 people. Talk about a party killer, right? I mean, imagine being there and you see him, you see him die. And so David and, and all the 30,000 men who are, who are around there, they're, they're all going, they're all asking the question, why did this happen? Why did God kill Uzzah just because he reached out and touched the ark? Now, this isn't a one-off story in the Bible. This is actually a theme throughout the Bible. Remember the story of Aaron, the high priest? Right when the, right when the tabernacle was being built, his two sons went into the Holy of Holies, and they went in in an unholy way, and what happened to them? Same thing. They died. God killed them. And these stories, they're in the Bible to, to cause us to go, what is going on here? They're there to cause us to ask the same question that David and, and those 30,000 men would have been asking. Why is it that when we humans come into contact with a holy God, something disastrous happens? Why is it that it's so dangerous for humans to approach a holy God. And so David, he has this question in mind when he picks up his pen to write down Psalm 24. He, he's asking the question, how can I, how can, how can we as a people, and then him as an individual, how can I live at peace with my creator when he is so, so holy? So that's what's going on in the context of Psalm 24. So, so let's look at it. Look at the first two verses here with me. This is a Psalm of David, like I've been saying. The first two verses say this. Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the world, and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas, and established it upon the rivers. Now this is a psalm, right? We know that it's very poetic, but oftentimes when I read Verses like this, I often go, what are you talking about, David? What do you mean you est God established the earth and the world on rivers and waters? Well, I have a, uh, I get a email every morning. Uh, it's from the 1440 Digest. It's just a, 
uh, it's just a record of, of world current events, right? And they're going to give me like a paragraph summary of everything that's going on around the world. And it'll say things like uh, earthquake in Turkey, here's the number of casualties, yada, yada, yada. But then in, in this paragraph, it'll say something along the lines of uh, see images here. And then that, that word right there will be in blue. You know what I'm talking about? You've experienced this before? And, and so what happens when you click that? It takes you. It hyperlinks you back to some website, some video, some picture, something like that. Well, that's what's going on here. And honestly, that's how your, your, your Bible authors write throughout the Bible. They, they, well, I like to call them flashbacks and foreshadows. Right? So when you're, the Bible authors are writing, they, they oftentimes want you to think back to something earlier in Scripture or think forward. And so this is what David's doing right here. He's, he's flashing us back. And, and, and so when he says in verse 2, God has founded the earth and the world upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. He's flashing it back to what I'm sure some of you even now are recognizing. He's flashing it back to creation. He's flashing it back to the, the opening pages of the Bible. Specifically, the first three chapters. And you recognize the the first two verses in, in the Bible. It sounds very familiar to this. Uh, Moses says in Genesis 1-1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So, while David was contemplating why Uzzah died, he seems to think that his answer is going to be found in the first three chapters of the Bible. And, and I don't just want to rush by that because this is, this is pretty profound here. Just follow this. David is in the middle of asking God why. He's in the middle of questioning what God is doing. Ever been there in your own life? He's in the middle of pain, suffering, agony. But what is his response David's response is to meditate on God's word. See, I'm only, I'm only 28 years old, but, but this is something that God has really been teaching me in the past like five years, and that is that I'm going to guess that those of you who walked in here, most if not all of you are hurting in some way, shape, or form. You've walked in here and you're, and you're limping right now. Right? It may be that the world has beaten you up this past week or your own sin has beaten you up this past week and you need to confess some stuff, but you are hurting on your way in here. And so just a quick question before we get back to our story is, is this question, where are you turning when you are hurting? Where do you turn to? Do, do, will you be like David? Where David goes, I'm hurting, I'm asking God why, immediately I need to go to God's word. I need to meditate on God's word. Will you be like that Psalm 1 character who plants themselves by the living waters so that they can have that life-giving fruit sourced from the water itself, from God's word? Just the other day, I got to talk to a, a lady who's, whose children are going all over the place. They're crazy, and, and, and her life is a mess right now. And I got to counsel her and say, Psalm 119, 24, David says, your words are my counselors. Is God's word your counselors when you're in the midst of hurting? When you're in the midst of asking him why? 
David did. That's what David did. He went back to Scripture. And specifically, he went back to the first three chapters in Genesis. And if you don't remember the opening story of the Bible, it starts out by, by God creating the earth, and he creates these little images of himself, right? These, these images called humans, Adam and Eve. And he placed them in a garden. But unlike uh, Uzzah and unlike Aaron's sons, who when they came into contact with the holiness of God, they died. Adam and Eve, they were able to live in the presence of the holiness of God without, without perishing, without dying. And not only were, were they allowed to live, they were, they were allowed to flourish. This is how they were designed to live. And in fact, God said, Adam and Eve, what, what I want you to do is I want you to multiply, make more of these image-bearing humans and, that know their creator, love their creator. I want you to subdue the world. I want you to rule it. And I want you to spread my glory throughout the rest of the universe. That's God's global plan. It has been since day one. To fill the universe with his glory by spreading humans across the world who know their creator and worship him. But, as I'm sure some of you remember, it does not take long for Adam and Eve to screw that one up, right? Like page three. Didn't take long. That's, that's humanity in a nutshell. God wanted Adam and Eve to trust him. He said, look, I, I know that you don't, probably don't quite understand why I'm telling you that this is a tree that you cannot eat from. You don't understand everything about this. But what I want you to do is I want you to trust me. I'm your creator. I know what's best for you. Just trust me. But they didn't. They chose to not trust in the Lord with all their heart. They chose to lean on their own understanding. And they took the fruit. And of course, what happens is the relationship between creator and creation was broken. And Adam and Eve were cast out. They were exiled outside of the garden. And the cherubim was guarding the way so that they couldn't get in. And I think it's here that David finds the answer to his question, why did God kill Uzzah? And the answer is, because our sin has cast us out of the perfect glory of God. See, because God's, God's glory is like the sun, okay? Sun is awesome from a distance, right? It gives you warmth. It gives you light. Ultimately, it gives you life. But if you try and enter into the presence of the sun, what's going to happen? It's not going to go well for you right here. And this is why I love this image right here. This image right here is a perfect picture of the gospel. Inside that gate, behind that angel, inside that gate is Eden. It's where the presence of the living God is. It's where your heart longs to be. It's where you understand and know deep down this is where you were created to be. But because of your sin, because of your sinful state, you have been exiled outside of the garden. And if you try 
to enter back into the garden on your own merit, in your own works, through your own efforts, in your own sinful state, it will not go well with you. You will be stopped and you will be cast back out into exile when you die for all of eternity. And that is where some of you guys are at even, even this morning. And so David, he, he's contemplating this reality. He has this picture in mind how I know that I desire, I want to be in the garden, but I can't be. So then he asks the logical question in verse 3. He says, well, then who? Psalm 24, 3 says, who? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? The hill of the Lord, the, the mountain, some of your translations might say, the mountain of God is, is, is Zion. It's the place where the temple would have been. It's a place where the presence of God was, right? And, and God's holy place was, was that inner place, the holy of holies inside the tabernacle, inside the temple where, where the Ark of the Covenant would have been. And so David is essentially asking, because of our sin, because of your sin, who can live at peace with their creator? And this really is, this question is the question that is inside every human heart, whether you realize it or not. Just the other day, I, I, I was playing basketball, and I, I had a buddy who's a big Michigan State fan, and I just asked him, I said, hey, man, what do you think about that Michigan State shooting? He's not a Christian, and he was pretty shaken up about it. And so at the time, I, I got to explain to him, I said, I said Austin, man, this is, this is the reality of, of humanity that instinctively we recognize that this world is broken. We recognize that this world is not how it ought to be. We recognize, even in your own conscience, that you have sinned against your creator and you desperately want to live in a world where all rights, all wrongs are made right, all sin is taken away. We know that we were made for perfection because you were. You were made to be in a relationship with your creator. This is the question that goes through all of our heads. This is the question that was going through David's head. Who? And then he gives this answer in verses 4 through 6 here. He gives a kind of a, a very interesting answer. He says this in verse 4. This is who. This is who can ascend the mountain of God. This is who can, can enter into the holy place of God. He who has clean hands, that is someone who is holy in their action. He who has a pure heart, that is someone who has inward holiness, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Now, I don't know about you, but those, that David's answer right there makes me just a little bit uneasy, right? He, it, it reminds me of John Madden, okay? You know who John Madden is? He's, he's the guy who died a couple years ago, sportscaster for the NFL. This guy would say the most obvious things whenever he was on TV. He'd be like, yeah, this team is down 70 points, and in order for them to win, they need to score more points than the other team by the end of the game. The announcer next to him is like, okay, John, thank you. Uh, please don't talk again. That was painfully obvious. Back to you on the field. This is what David's doing right here. He's going, he's going guys, guys, 
God is holy and we are not, right? But, but I got the answer. We desire to be in the presence of perfection. I got the answer. We, you you want to know how you, how you enter into perfection? Come here, come here. All you have to do is just be perfect. Just be perfect. That's it. Just be completely holy in everything that you do. Be completely holy in every single heart and mind thought that you've ever had in your life. That's all you have to do. And by the way, Jesus didn't say anything different. Jesus says, you must be perfect as my heavenly father is perfect. This is, a, this is not just the great human question. This is the great human conundrum right here that God is holy and we have no way to access him on our own. But remember, David, he, he's not done with this psalm yet. He's still got verses 7 through 10. And, and who's he talking about in verse 7 through 10? He's talking about a king. A victorious king. Verse 7, he says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Well, who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. No, I love those verses, but honestly, the first time I read them, I still was asking the same question David was asking. Who, who's this king? Why is he a mighty warrior? Who is he? This, this psalm seems to be very sporadic. God created all things. He's awesome. He created all this stuff. Who can stand in his presence because he's so holy? Well, somebody who's perfect can stand in his presence. That's who. And then here's this song about a king. Well, what's David trying to get out here? I think the answer, again, is going to be found in going back to the verses and the passages that David himself is meditating on, which is the opening pages of the Bible, Genesis 1 through 3, which begs the question, is there a victorious warrior king in the first three chapters of Genesis? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Right after Adam and Eve had been deceived by the serpent, the one, the serpent representing all that is evil and sinful, right after they were deceived by the serpent, God found them out and, and he's talking to them and he begins to send down his curses upon them. And he starts with the serpent and he says to the serpent in Genesis 3.15, the very first prophecy in all the Bible, he says, I, God, will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and his, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now what this means, what David's getting at here, what David's thinking about is that there's going to be a human king who will crush the head of sin and evil once and for all by sacrificing apparently his body somehow. And so he begins to sing about this king and how after this, this human king defeats his enemy, he will be able to be the one. He'll be the one 
who can ascend the mountain of God. He'll be the one who can enter into the holy place of God, and he will be the one who will reign as a king. And so I like to picture that after David's writing this psalm, he puts his pen down or whatever they wrote with, he puts his pen down and he leans back in his chair and he, he starts to go, yeah, that's the king I'm waiting for. That's the Messiah that I'm looking forward to, the one who will defeat sin once and for all and reign over everything. And every year, every year, this psalm, Psalm 24, would be sung by those who are working in the temple. They would sing it over the week of Passover. Every year would go by, they would sing the same psalm. The next year, they would sing Psalm 24, the beginning of Passover. The next year. Then a thousand years later, Passover week, possibly at the very same time this psalm was being sung, a man named Jesus came riding into Jerusalem like a king on a donkey. And all of the people who were, who were there watching him, they all started to surround him. They all started to lay down their coats, lay down their palm branches, and they began to sing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is the kingdom, the coming kingdom of our father David. And this donkey-riding king, he was the one, he was the only human in all of history who had clean hands and a pure heart. The only one, the only human in all of history who truly was holy in everything that he did. He was holy in every single intention that he ever had. And it made his blood the perfect sacrifice to defeat sin and evil once and for all. And he did this by dying on a cross nailed to a cross, bleeding for the sins of the world, and he died. And after three days, this Jesus, this king, he rose from the dead, and he took his enemies captive. He defeated sin and evil when he rose from the dead. And like a victorious warrior the warrior that we read in verse 8, the one who is mighty in all that he does, he ascended into heaven. He ascended the mountain of God into the holy place where he reigns as king over the universe. And do you want to know what the best part about this is? Jesus, this snake-crushing king, wants to take you with him. This is what I love most about this psalm is because this psalm is like, it's like a multifaceted picture, right? So I don't know what the name of that is. I'm a Sadel graduate, so I don't know fancy words like that. But like, imagine this psalm, right? It's a picture with the question, who? Who can ascend the mountain of God? Who can enter into his holy place? And the first answer you get is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's the king. It's the prophesied king. That's who can stand in God's holy place. But once you move it, you get a second image. You know what I'm talking about here? And the second image that you see is that because of what Jesus did for you through the cross, through his resurrection, through his ascension, and what he's doing up in heaven right now, you are able to ascend the mountain of God. 
you are able to enter into the holy place of God. And we actually get a really, really beautiful picture of this from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Isaiah is taken up in this, in this vision, up into the presence of God, and he is freaking out. The Lord is enthroned, smoke everywhere, thunder, lightning, everything shaking. There's six-winged seraphim flying all over the place. And Isaiah knows this is not where he should be. He knows the story of Adam and Eve. He, he knows the story of Uzzah touching and, a and approaching the presence of God. He knows the story of Aaron's sons. And he knows, I cannot be here because I am sinful. Just like Uzzah, just like Aaron's sons. I am sinful and I'm in the presence of God. This is dangerous. But then in Isaiah 6, 6 and 7, we get these verses. This is very interesting. Isaiah says this. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Now, I want you to see what's going on here. Isaiah, like you and I, he is unholy. He's in the presence of holiness. But what he doesn't try and do is he doesn't try and make himself holy. He doesn't try and wash himself, but rather the holiness of God being represented in this live coal is reaching out and being transferred over to Isaiah, making him holy, washing away his guilt washing away his sins, forgiving him completely, atoning for everything. Now keep this image in mind and fast forward to Jesus. When Jesus came to earth and he was walking around and people would come into contact with him, they would be transformed, utterly transformed. He would say, but they would be transformed physically and spiritually. He would say things that would end up getting him killed by the Pharisees, he would say things like, hey, crippled man, get up, be healed, and your sins are atoned for. Your sins are forgiven. You see what's going on here? Jesus, Jesus was acting like this live coal that you see in Isaiah 6. He was going around. And in fact, John, the gospel writer, John says that when the word became flesh, he, that's Jesus, when Jesus became flesh, he dwelt among us. And that word dwelt literally means, watch this, to set up a tent, to set up a tabernacle, to set up a holy place. What the Bible teaches is that Jesus, when he was walking on earth, he was a walking holy place that was walking around and, and, and telling people, hey, if you were to trust and put your faith in me and make me king over your heart, king over your mind, over your life, then I will wash away all of your guilt. I will wash away all of your sin. And most importantly, I will transfer my righteousness over to you. 
The same prophet Isaiah would say in Isaiah 61, this picture that God is giving us here, when you trust in what Jesus did for you, is this picture of God taking this robe of righteousness from Jesus, this robe of perfection, and draping it over you, wrapping it over you like a protective coat to be able to take you into the midst of something gloriously horrifying, but yet where you want to be, into the presence of God. And some of you in this room, you, you, you've never experienced this forgiveness before. You've, you've never called on the name of Jesus to be saved. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I want you. That's why I came. I, I want you. I want you to see me for who I am. I am the living God. Come down to earth to be a holy place so that I could transfer my righteousness over to you. Just confess, believe in who I am and what I did for you on the cross. In my resurrection, I defeated sin so that you could be forgiven of your sin. And some of you, you need to accept this forgiveness today. Jesus wants to give you his righteousness, his, his blessing, his, his clean hands, his pure heart. And all you have to do is believe. And he wants to give it to you for all of eternity. And if you're a Christian in this room, which I'm guessing there are many of you, this is the reality that you need to meditate on every single day. Every day. If you're a Christian in this room, you have ascended the mountain of God and entered into the holy place. You have seen the face of God through the blood of Jesus. You are a son or a daughter of the living God. You're a son or daughter of the king. Your sins have been forgiven. Your guilt has been taken away. You have been set free from the bondage of your sin. You have been set free from the condemnation of your sin. And you will be set free from the future presence of your sin for all of eternity. I know that you, the Christians here at Living Waters, you, some of you are hurting, like I said at the beginning. You're coming in here limping. That's good. That's what a church is for. You're supposed to come in here. Confess your sins. We want a revival, right? We pray for a revival. But it starts with you. It starts with your own hearts being revived and realizing that there is therefore now no condemnation for you. So Christian in this room, put on your helmet of salvation and realize and know that there is nothing that this world or the enemy can throw at you that your king, King Jesus, has not already defeated at the cross. Would you be, would you be courageous enough to believe Romans 8.1 this week, that there is now no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. That will change your life. It's not just for the time you get saved. It is for your everyday walk with Jesus. And this brings me to the last thing I want to point out, and that is that Jesus doesn't just take you into the holy place when he saves you. You become God's holy place on earth when he saves you. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, that we are God's temple. Individually, you are God's temple. You are the place where the Spirit of God dwells on earth. Do you remember the story of Moses when he took the Israelites to go get the Ten Commandments? He brought them all 
They come to this mountain, Mount Sinai. Again, this is another picture of what we've been talking about. The presence of God comes down on the mountain. Thunder, lightning, the Israelites are just absolutely freaked out. Their God's going, hey, come up the mountain. And they're like, no thanks. Moses, you go up. That's a picture of Jesus right there, right? And so he does. Moses goes up. He ascends the mountain of God. He enters into the presence of God. And, and what happens to Moses when he comes back down on the mountain? His face begins to radiate the holiness of God. And the Israelites couldn't take it. They said, put a veil over yourself because they had recognized that Moses had been in the presence of God. Listen, if you're a Christian in this room, that is how your life ought to look. You have ascended the mountain of God. You have entered into the holy place of God through the blood of Jesus. You have seen your creator face to face. He has saved you, sealed you with the Holy Spirit, and your life should radiate the holiness of God everywhere you go, whether it's with your coworkers, your neighbors, your family, your children, Ask yourself that question. When people see me, what do they see? Do they see the holiness of God everywhere I go? Or is it more like a mirror where the world just sees themselves and they see you? This is a big deal, guys, because I don't know if you realize it yet, but, but you individually... You are a part of this amazing, glorious, global plan that God has for spreading his glory throughout the rest of the world. And he started it back in Genesis 1 and 2. He said, Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply these image bearers. And, and, and the way that God's plan has, has gone forward now after the cross is he's doing it through these Christians coming, these individual temples, these individual like little walking holy places, these walking gardens of Eden, right? And they come together and they start these churches. This is what we call a church. They start these churches, these little Jesus communities to be literally little gardens of Eden in the place where they're at so that they could radiate like Moses's face to, to, to spread light throughout the spiritual darkness throughout the whole world and through the region, the South Des Moines region where you guys are at right now. That is why Living Waters exists, to be the glory of God on the South Side of Des Moines. That is why we plant churches everywhere so that we would radiate the holiness of God everywhere that we go. And that is why we are planting pun intended right here, Eden. We're planting an Eden on the north side of Des Moines so that we could radiate the holiness of God on the north side of Des Moines. Because we believe if Eden Church would really love their neighbors like Jesus would, then entire communities would change. Neighborhoods, businesses, schools, they would change for the glory of God. We believe that if Eden Church really loved the neglected like Jesus did, then they would be, this church would be a picture 
of their creator's heart. Gentle and lowly. Full of the rich and the poor. Full of the businessman and the homeless man. The stay-at-home mom and the single mom working two jobs. We believe if Eden Church really loved the spiritual nomad and gave people a place where they felt at home to search for their savior, then we would be an answer to the spiritual cry of our culture today. And maybe today, God is calling some of you to step out in faith. And for some of you, that may be doing what is most important, and that's placing your faith and trust in what Jesus did for you for the first time this morning. You're on the outside of Eden. You've been exiled out. And there is a gate there with the cherubim, and you cannot get in on your own efforts. This God has made a way for you to enter back into Eden, and it is Jesus. It's through what Jesus did for you on the cross. Would you believe that today? And then some of you, God may be calling you to step out in faith and join what Eden Church is going to be doing on the north side of Des Moines. We'd love to have you, and we want you to be called. God's got to call you. So would you pray about that and seek the Lord's will? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Let us never get tired of the truth of the gospel. I pray that we would take it with us everywhere we go. I pray that our faces, every Christian's face in here today would radiate your holiness. Lord, I pray that you would change us with your gospel. Pray for those who don't know you. I pray that you would save them. Open their eyes. Do the work that only you can do and save them here this morning. Lord, we love you in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. It's Communion Sunday. So now, not only do you get an awesome guest preacher, you get to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so as we go into the Lord's Supper, I'm going to pray. And how we do communion here is we'll you know, immediately get up and, and go get the elements, um, the crackers and the juice, and then come back down to your seat. And then we'll have meditation time together. As we meditate on the Lord, who is this King of glory? It's Jesus. Amen? And we remember him together. What a, what a privilege. I mean, what a glorious thing to do. And so we will, we will um, do that. And as you do that, some of you need to be saved. I've, I've gone on the record here over and over and over again. Communion Sunday is a great day to become a Christian. So just sit in your chair, ask Christ into your heart, and repent of your sins and believe. And for those of you who are believers, there's a lot of good things that God will do um, in this time. He might even call you to go serve at Eden Church in North Des Moines. I don't know. Maybe the Lord is up to something good in that way in your life. So let's pray and prepare our hearts together. And as soon as we're done praying, go get your elements. Come back to your chairs. We'll have um, some quiet meditation time and confession time, and then we will uh, close out service. Let's pray. Father, thank you for John's word from Psalm 24. God, it's your passion to be restoring Eden. What we lost in the garden, Lord, you are restoring through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we come to the communion table with joyful hearts if we know you. 
that you've restored Eden inside of us, and you are doing it all over the world. So God, renew us and strengthen us and encourage us as we meditate on the answer to the question, who is this King of glory? Christ, you're the King of glory. Bless our time of communion now as we remember you in Jesus' name. Amen.
going to pray, and then we'll just have a, in the midst of the prayer, there'll be silence, and use that time, okay, use that time to connect with Jesus, so let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you, you are the king, and Lord, there's stuff we need to say to our king. So, Lord, give us openness, give us freedom to say no to pride and to say yes to humility. Give us thoughts in the quiet that will lead to victory. And Jesus, may you rule and reign over every heart that is here. So, God, as we quiet ourselves now, do your work.